Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, we have a very timely show lined up for today. You know, the markets have been rocking a little bit, right? No, I hadn't noticed that, Steve. You haven't really? noticed that? No. <laughs> it's been no. a little. We had that year of euphoria when there was no volatility. Yeah. And now, man, we've yeah. gone off the other end of the scale. <laughs> I mean, yeah, in a matter of like three days, it's just gone wacko. It has been a crazy week. So we're going to talk about that, guys. We have it right here. Um, you know, how do you survive a correction? What do you do during a correction? Um, we got some great stats here. We're going to talk about that. That's a very important topic. Yeah, we're going to follow that up with a pretty, pretty interesting article about how children can ruin your retirement. Well, yes, that's a cheery topic, it John. Is. <laughs> it's just reality, man. I mean, you have kids. Kids are expensive. Now, there's different ways to do it. You can go to Sears and buy Husky clothes and things like that. But, you know, children are expensive. So, you know, and I don't agree with that title, by the way. They're, they bring a lot of value and happiness that uh, offset some of the costs. But but it is interesting, though, Steve, to to look at the, uh, the true cost of having kids and, um, you know, doing some planning associated with that if you do have kids or planning on having kids as well. So, yeah, this is not our type, not our articles. Came out of Think Advisor right. and uh, children don't ruin your retirement. We're going to talk about <laughs> how you can prevent children from ruining your retirement. It could, it you, could if you could. don't. Yeah, so, uh, we do see a, it. We do see, we do see that, you know, kids costing more, but there are ways around that. We'll talk about that that's as well. That's true. That's true. By the way, I am Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 20. 22 years of providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, you can go to our website, moneymd.net. We have the podcast link over to the right-hand side. Also have a lot of videos um, that we've uh, recorded over the last several months about a lot of different topics, long-term care, we talk about corrections out there as well. We've done that, certainly that conversation before. Um, we have some cool calculator, a calculator for retirement. So check that out. And also Facebook, we put a weekly video out there as well. So we have a lot of tools trying to educate the masses out there. Absolutely. Lots of information on our website. So check that out. And also email us your questions. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net, or you can link to us on our website, moneymd.net. We're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, Steve, looks like some people have been doing some trading this week. Yeah, a little bit oh of trading has been going on. Goodness, I mean. Holy smokes. Yeah, there's a lot of articles out in the journals that we read pretty much daily um, talking about how a lot of websites had temporary outages um, back on uh, you know Monday and, and Tuesday. And really the whole week has been very, very very wild, but Fidelity had reported outages. A lot of the robo-advisors, Betterment, uh, Wealthfront, um, just couldn't handle the capacity. And it really speaks to how people react to these situations, which in our opinion is absolutely wrong. It's crazy, really. I mean, who? what long-term investor turns into a day trader just because the market gets a little shaky? Yeah, they shut down these websites. I mean, Fidelity basically, you know, had, they couldn't handle the, no one could handle the volume out there. And it, it does speak to how our 
society views investing, it is a long-term process. It is not short-term. And, you know, this really leads really well into the conversation about how do you handle a correction and it's not going to your website and trading. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, the only people that love these type of markets are the brokerage firms that make their money off transactions, right? I mean, Wall Street, you know. The, oh, absolutely. The money makers. Yeah, CNBC market, loves it. The market makers. Well. well, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I mean, entertainers. Can, entertainers do. And uh, the market makers and brokerage firms that are just like, you know, $10 a trade, boom, 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 you know. Yeah. Just millions of them. So, yeah. But so how do you survive a correction? We're going to talk about that, John. I mean, we've had quite a sell-off in the stock market the past week and, that's got everybody talking about a little more about, you know, corrections and, you know, how this might play out. Um, maybe it's over, maybe it's not. Um, and, uh, but, you know, as we've said many times, I mean, it's actually normal for markets to pull back after a big run up like we've experienced here in the past year. And I know it seems like these sell offs are very rare since we've been in this euphoria market over the past year where we had one of the lowest volatile volatility years on record mm -hmm. in 2017. Um, but actually, you know, a 5% sell-off or more are, are very common. They average 3.3 times per year. That happens about every three or four months on average. However, only about a fourth of those actually get worse and turn into a bona fide correction, which we already hit in the Dow Jones Industrial Average this, this week um, <clears throat> when it was down 10%. So that's a 10% drop, a, a real correction in the stock market. And that's when things get a little more scary. You know, people, you know, hit their pain threshold. They may start to sell. Some people do. And that's why all that, all that, tra all those transactions mm -hmm. you talked about, um, you know, happened uh, this week a little bit. And then, you know, uh, they're scared that a slide could turn into the death spiral. And, you know, it, it mean, it, it could turn worse. I mean... So the question is, are they being sensible and are they being prudent? Mm -hmm. um, well, not so much. I mean, as it turns out, you know, there are fewer than one in five corrections that escalate to the point that they become a bear market, which is a 20% down. And those are usually accompanied by a recession, by the way. Yeah. So, I mean, Steve, I think these are phenomenal facts here. You know, 3.3 times per year, the market drops by 5%. Right. So right. it's very normal. Only 25% of those turn into a correction, which is down 10%. And then only 20% of those go into a, a bear market. So there's an 80% chance of stock market corrections not going any further than that. And that's the history. Now, some of them do, right. and no one can predict that. But, you know, if you panic and move into cash during these corrections, um, you may well be doing that right before the market rebounds. And actually, the odds are against you when you go into cash because most of the time they recover. That's exactly right. right. So from an odd standpoint, that's not the right step to do. Once you understand that the vast majority of these corrections aren't that bad, it really is easier to calm and resist the temptation to hit the eject button at the first sign of, of turbulence. So good good stats here. Yeah, there really are. You know, on average, there has been a market correction every year since 1900. Um, you know, when I first heard this, I was floored. I mean, just think about it. If you're 50 years old, and you have a life expectancy of 85, you can expect to live through 35 corrections hmm. going forward. Um, put it another way, you'll experience the same number of corrections as you do birthdays on average. Now, a correction is defined as a 10% drop, as we mentioned, 
but not more than a 20% drop. The bear market is more than a 20% drop. So why does that matter? You know, because it shows that, you know, corrections are just a routine part of owning stocks. Um, instead of living in the fear of a correction, <clears throat> accept them as a regular occurrence because they are. Historically, the average correction has sent the market down about 13.5% and has lasted about 54 days in total, so less than two months. Still, in the midst of a correction, I mean, you might find yourself becoming, you know, emotional and wanting to sell because you're anxious. You want to avert the possibility of more pain. Um, you know, you're certainly not alone. These widespread emotions create kind of the crisis mentality. But the vast majority of the time, the sky is not falling. It's simply the seasonal type storm that comes and goes. Yeah. And so how bad does it get when the market really does crash? When you look at the S&P 500, um, it's dropped by an average of about 33% during bear markets. And in, in more than a third of those bear markets, that U.S. benchmark has plunged by more than 40% and certainly not going to sugarcoat it. I mean, that's that's tough. You know, if you're someone who yep. panics and you sell everything in the midst of, of mayhem and you lock in that loss of 30 or 40%, you're going to feel like a, a grizzly bear has mauled you for real. Yeah. Think about it. Out. No Locking kidding. in at 30 or 40% loss. So even if you have the knowledge and fortitude not to sell, you'll likely find that bear markets, it's it's challenge. It is, it is not a fun experience. And that's where it's key to have you know, some bonds in your portfolio, maybe have a plan that it all kind of wraps up into so you can get through those really bad times. That's right. Yeah. Even Jack Bogle, who is the founder of Vanguard, um, admits that, you know, bear markets are no walk in the park. You know, how do you feel when the market goes down 50%? He asked rhetorically, you know, honestly, you feel miserable. You know, you get knots in your stomach. You know, we all get uneasy. Um, you know, he gets out a couple of his books on, you know, stay in the course and he rereads them, you know, and the history of bear markets. I'll usually look up a lot of history mm-hmm, myself, mm-hmm. you know, and what's happened in the past. So I can communicate that to clients and how, how long it typically takes to recover. Sadly, though, many investment advisors fall victim to the same fear and they hide under their desk during these tumultuous times. Um, you know, but ongoing communications during these storms is the key. So here's what you need to know. I mean, bear markets don't last 14, the 14 bear markets in the U S over the last 70 years have varied widely in duration and from a month and a half, only 45 days to nearly two years, 694 days on average though, they've lasted about a year. The S and P 500 experienced an average intra-year decline of 14.2% from 1980 through the end of 2016. So, in other words, these market drops were remarkably regular occurrences over the last 36, or over a 36-year period. And, you know, once again, I mean, nothing could, there's really nothing to be scared of. It's just a matter of, of winter putting on its usual usual seasonal appearance. Um, but you know, markets actually ended up achieving a positive return in 27 of those 36 years. That's 75% of the time. You know, and this happened just recently when the S&P tanked 11% in 2000, January of 2016. Then it made a start, 
a, a sharp U-turn and ended up pretty nice for the year. Yeah, and even though there were, you know, the markets were down 25% of the time and up 75%, they still had a very positive return during that time frame, That's right? right? So in yep. order to get that high return, you've got to stay invested. And uh, so you look at this and you say, why is this so important? Because it, it reminds us that the market generally rises over the long term, even though it hits, you know, a number of potholes along the way. And, you know, you know as well as, as we do, the world has its... Um, share of problems. If you look back the last 36 years, there's been a, a couple of wars. You had 9-11, um, the Gulf Wars, Iraq, Afghanistan. Uh, you had the worst financial crisis since the Great Depression. Depression, And even so, the market ultimately rose in all but nine um, of those years. So there have there will be times that the markets are down, but that's where, again, have some bonds, have a plan, have a strategy to get through that. And historically, that has proven to work. That's exactly right. And so, but what if America's economic future is lousy? You know, I mean, that's a fair question. You know, we all know that there are some serious challenges. You know, there's the threats of ter terrorism. There's global warming. There's Social Security liabilities. Um, even so, I mean, the U.S. has an incredibly dynamic and resilient economy with a powerful trend of driving future growth. And, you know, in his 2015 annual report, the Brookshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett addressed this subject at length, and he explained how population growth and extraordinary gains in productivity will create an enormous increase in wealth for generations of Americans to come. He says all the, <clears throat> this all-powerful trend is likely to continue. America's economic magic remains alive and well. You know, for 240 years, it's been a terrible mistake to bet against America. Now is no time to start. So that was his words. So understand the facts about how markets behave and take full ownership of your financial future. You're taking responsibility. That's what you have to do, you know, because you know what? I mean, most people never take responsibility. They prefer to blame the market for whatever happens to them. But the market never took a dime from anyone. As um, <clears throat> Warren Buffett says, the stock market is a device for transferring money from the impatient to the patient. If you lose money in the market, it's because of your a decision you made. Um, if you made money in the market, <clears throat> it's also because of the decision you made. The market is going to do what the market's going to do, but you determine whether you win or lose, whether you stay in or whether you get out at a bad time. Um, so what can you do to prepare yourself for the next downturn? First is turn off the TV. That's exactly right. <clears throat> right. I mean, if a decline starts to snowball, you'll hear about it over and over and over. And so don't become your portfolio's worst enemy by allowing yourself to get caught up in this negative hysteria. Um, if you look at CNBC, I mean, it's all on the front pages of it. Um, you know, you got to instead remind yourself that the market has experienced 20 drops between 10 and 20% uh, 20% since World War II, and um, 13 bear market tumbles of at least 20%. I mean, those are some big numbers, Steve. Right. But even so, large company stocks have returned 11% annualized since the end of the war. So there are going to be times when the markets are down. There will be. And in order to get that 11%, you have to stay invested. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And part of that strategy is you, you, I mean, you do have to have a strategy. That's the next one here on the list. You know, sticking through a bear market, a downturn is the core of that strategy. 
But you've also probably heard of dollar cost averaging. You know, it's a strategy of investing a set amount uh, in the market at periodic intervals. So that's a great strategy to do, invest periodically, but also use declines as an opportunity to add extra money to your portfolio. So look at it as an opportunity when you see markets are down. Have a plan for adding more money to your portfolio, if at all possible. So that's the next one here. And then another one is look at the cup half full. You know, stop comparing your current portfolio to the absolute high watermark. People fixate on the highest number they've ever seen their portfolio at. And then they like to compare to that number to forever depress themselves to say, what if I had sold during that period? You know, whenever the markets are down, they're always looking at that high watermark. Stop that nonsense. Focus on the positive. Look at the value of your portfolio from the beginning of last year, for example. You know, are you up? Absolutely. I'm sure you are. So focus on that point of reference. Be happy. And even look back five years at your portfolio. Focus on that long-term number and say, wow, I am way up from five years ago. So look at the cup that's half full. And then the last one here is anticipate better days. You know, the effects of corrections don't last very long. After a 10 to 20% drop, it typically just takes a few months to break even. So look past any correction. Focus on the longer term. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about a lot of numbers and timing in here. And obviously, past performance doesn't guarantee the future, right? That's right. So we're just drawing some lessons that we have seen historically. And what we see that works is is exactly what we've talked about here. Put some bonds in your portfolio. Have a plan and have a process. It's going to happen in the future. It's just how do you react to it? Absolutely. All right. Great topic. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. This question is, is should I buy insurance for my one-year-old granddaughter? And uh, it's interesting, hmm. interesting question. I got, we got something in the mail from, um, I don't know who it's from, Gerber maybe? Yeah, I was going to say that's the popular, you know, yeah. infant, you know, insurance is Gerber. My wife actually had a Gerber policy when we got married. Yeah, no, it's, this is Globe Life Direct. And um, okay. so... Um, you can buy a $25,000 policy um, on a, a newborn for $8.76 a month. Whoa. What a deal. Only $8.76 a month. Yeah, and instead, if you put that into an account and gave that account to your grandchild at age 21 at a 10% rate of return, it would be a $7,500 gift as they go off into the world. Nice, nice. And, so and, instead of having twenty five thousand insurance, you'd actually have seventy five hundred dollars. That's right. That's right. And the chances of a child, you know, passing away is it's probably better odds right. of winning the lottery. And if you read the fine print in those policies, when they hit age twenty or twenty five, the cost of that insurance, like yeah, increases quadruples or something. It goes way up. And that's what happened to my wife's policy. She had a. A little policy her parents had bought for her, and it was like a dollar a month. When she hit like age 23 or 25 or something, it like wanted to jump to like $100 a year. Mm -hmm. And I said, mm -hmm. hold the phone here. <laughs> What's wrong with this? Yeah. And, you know, and it's an overpriced policy. You, so you really don't need insurance on kids. I mean, our, our no. philosophy is, is, you know, buy insurance to protect your income. Right, a financial loss. That's right. And even though kids do cost money, as I'm about to explain here, it's not something that you need to go out and buy insurance on. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it's, it's for de protecting dependents on, on you. So if, when you have dependents, yes, you need probably need insurance um, to protect them. But, you know, children don't have dependents. They are a dependent. 
And uh, so they, you really don't need life insurance on your kids. But, um, yeah, it's a great question. Yep. It's a great question. All right, and that leads up here to our next topic, and that is can having children ruin your retirement? John, are you saying we can't have children? I, no, I can. But if you have kids, the chances are that your retirement won't be as big as if you didn't have kids. That's a terrible way to look at children. That's not my headline. Okay. Okay. It's All not right. my headline. It's uh, Think Advisor. Out. Interesting topic, though. And uh, the data shows that, um, you know, you don't have children, obviously, to get rich. Um, there are some costs that you have to be aware of. From a moment a, a child arrives, parents pay more for food, clothes, health care. They have to have bigger homes, child care, education. I mean, Steve, get this. The total tab for, for getting a child from birth to 18 is about is over $200,000. Ouch. Think of all the, the new golf clubs you could have had. You have three kids, man. You, you, <laughs> you could have had brand-new golf clubs like every month. Yeah, you know, but when I think back at my childhood, there is no way my dad spent $233,000 on me well, by the time I was 18. Well, I can assure you that. You go to so it doesn't Sears have to be that way. and get husky jeans, you know? Yes, that's then. right. He's recounting a story I just told him. You know, when I was a kid, my parents bought me husky jeans, and, you know, I mean— it was like, let's go to Goodwill, son. We'll pick you up some new clothes. Uh, so it doesn't have to be this way, and, but I, yeah, I agree it could. And, you have to look out and for And quite it. frankly, I don't think many people go into this conversation thinking, hey, I'm going to have a kid because of financial reasons. It's something you should think about and plan for, but... We have two kids. Y'all have three. There's no way in the world I would ever trade the ex- experiences and love you have with kids for, for the money. Of course not. Right. So um, so there are a lot of non-monetary perks, obviously. But the financial effects, um, they can impact some people. Yeah, that's exactly right. More than half Americans are in danger of retiring without enough money, according to the Boston uh, College Center for Retirement Research. And the center found that children should get at um, least some of the blame for that, according to the study released this month. Um, so <laughs> they're blaming kids. They're blaming kids for not having enough money. Yeah, I mean that's not. That's, that's, there's something wrong with that, John. I thought this article was kind of funny. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I wanted to kind of talk to it because it, it. What's kids, funny is that you picked this article. Yeah, well, you know, I, I tried to kind of diversify a little bit. We had a, a really in-depth investment topic, so. Trying to do something a little different, something to add a little humor. It's definitely different. We're going to get some emails about this. Corre- keep, go- keep going. C- corrections aren't humorous, right? No, they aren't. <laughs> so it, it may seem obvious that kids make it harder to save, but in practice, parents can compensate for the extra cost by maybe spending less on themselves. Or, you know, we were talking about earlier about having having budgets and um, making sure kids, um, you know, are in, involved in the process. Instead of going to shop at Oshkosh Bagash, they go to Goodwill. Right, exactly. Or Sears. There you go. It's those Get husky jeans, husky man. Jeans, like and I when, grew up with. And when they're two inches too short, tough. Yeah, that's, right. That's what my dad told me. You know, I mean, <laughs> kid, those jeans aren't worn out, son. That's right, man. Go Just to keep school. wearing them. So, the National Retirement Risk Index um, is the center's estimate for how many Americans are in serious danger. The la- latest um, uh, uh, research they did on this showed that about fifty-two percent of U.S. House, households were at risk for falling short um, of their financial needs by 10% or more. So, again, they're blaming this all on the kids. <laughs> yes, they are. You know. They are. Yeah, I mean, to find out how parenting affects retirement savings, the center, they, they reanalyzed the survey data, looking at the correlation between Americans' financial situations and the number of children they had. 
And the bottom line is that households with children would be expected at the end of their working lives um, to have less income and lower wealth, the studies authorize. Um, but I don't. it doesn't have to impoverish you, though. No, it doesn't. That's kind of the core of this. And not everybody. I mean, you know, there are, there are things that kids need, but you can also prioritize, and kids can work and so forth. So here are the stats. For parents in their 30s, each child is associated with a 3.7% drop in income and a 4.5% decline in wealth. Um, older households had less pain uh, associated with that. But a key contributing factor to the parent shortfalls uh, was this so-called motherhood penalty. The typical mother earned about $9,400 less than the median woman uh, without children. So uh, there was a penalty, it looks like, if, if women were, um, were working associated with uh, their family. Gotcha. <clears throat> That's a pretty depressing <laughs> stat, John. <laughs> Glad you point that out. Yeah, a two percent jump in uh, retirement risk isn't isn't catastrophic. You know, there are other factors that are much more profound to affect the likelihood of you saving enough for retirement. For example, researchers found that access to, to a traditional pension plan at work was associated with a forty point drop in retirement risk. Or I would even say this: not investing in stocks is a devastating mm-hmm. to your retirement future um, because, you know, you don't get the growth that the stock market gives. So that's a lot bigger factor than it is than having kids. It is. And, um, you know, I, I'll kind of wrap this up a little bit. I, I had a um, meeting with um, some folks uh, a couple of weeks ago and they had a couple of kids. They had a really nice income, but they had a lot of debt. And that debt is what's preventing them from um, their retirement goals at this point. And the kids certainly are in, you know, they do cost money, but you you can prioritize that. You can do things. If you have kids, um, they can go to community colleges. They can work. Um, There's a lot of different ways that you can minimize the cost of kids um, and still have a good retirement. We see people doing it all the time, and we help people do that as well. Yeah, and I think the moral of the story here is you have to recognize that it's a risk. It's something you can, you know, kids are something you can spend a fortune on if you don't have a plan <clears throat> and if you don't, if you don't, you know, have some priorities and watch yourself and and make sure that you're not just pandering to their ever desire, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, but it can be done. We all know people that have have lots of kids and still retire with with very good futures and good retirements. I know somebody in my church had nine kids. And um, you know, I mean, but you just gotta you gotta be realistic, you know, you gotta do your shopping at Walmart and Goodwill and, you know, things like that. And you have to, you know, if they want extras, they need to work for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, college doesn't have to cost a bundle if they go local and they get, you know, get a job, co-op. Sure. There there are ways to, there are lots of ways to minimize it. You know, my parents didn't spend $200,000 on me before I was 18. (laughs) I can assure you that. And, uh, because they didn't have 200,000 to spend. And there are plenty of people that never have that kind of money. Well, back then, to spend on kids. Husky jeans cost like two dollars and sixty-seven cents. I mean, yeah, come on. Well, true, you know. But hey, man, I mean, <laughs> Husky. I but never I heard got, that brand. But before. I, I got part-time jobs, and yeah, I started absolutely. buying my own clothes yeah. when I was in fifteen. If I wanted something that was a little more fashionable, which I did, because I was pretty embarrassed to be wearing those high-water huskies to school, <laughs> I started buying my own. Steve, we got to have pictures, man. Clothes. Yeah, right. We got to have pictures. I'm going to talk to Kathy. There probably are a few. 
drawer anyway. Good topic, though. And that leads us up here to our last thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, stop making decisions based on headlines. These headlines, Steve, they drive me crazy. It's actually comical. They don't drive me crazy. But people don't know what they're talking about. Right. So, I mean, I'm out on CNBC every day. I, you know, we both are, are researching, we look, we read, we kind of watch what's going on. And there were two articles um, side by side on CNBC's website. And the first article said Bitcoin prices could triple by year's end. And that was what one analyst predicts. And right below that, it says Bitcoin could lose 90% of its value, Wall Street veteran warns. <laughs> it's Ouch. like, I mean, completely opposite. And so, you yeah. know, if you would have only saw one of those articles, you may have made a decision based on that. But these folks have no clue what Bitcoin is going to do, much less the S&P 500 index. I mean, nobody knows. Exactly. So, so just stop focusing on headlines whatsoever. Don't get your advice from headlines, right? Yeah, or your uncle... Tommy, you know, he doesn't know much either. Right. (laughs) Probably not. Don't ignore that stock tip he gives you. That's right. That's right. Instead, diversify, have a plan for the future, and make sure you follow a plan, have a disciplined strategy for investing, right? Absolutely. Okay. That brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MT. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 